This week on Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. So you ha- you take these very well-meaning people who care deeply about their community and their country, and somebody's always willing to take oh. advantage of. But but in order to do it, you have to keep building on the last grift. You have to, and so and so at this some point, at some point, the mountain of bullshit <laughs> becomes so high that you wonder, will it ever topple? Right. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. An immigration crisis, a crisis in the Middle East, Donald Trump's personal crisis, and where are the critical points of the South Carolina primary coming up here? Scott Jennings is here. That's good because your name's on the podcast. Courtney (laughs) Yap Norris is here as well. Your name's not on it yet, but... Soon enough, and I'm your roundtable host, Joe Arnold. You didn't mention the most important thing. The crisis in the NFL? Yes, Taylor Swift. (laughs) I knew it. (laughs) And Travis Kelsey are now at the center of a massive conspiracy theory. Let me read you the tweet of Vivek Ramaswamy. God help us. I wonder who's going to win the Super Bowl next month. And I wonder if there's a major presidential endorsement coming from an artificially, culturally propped up couple this fall. Just some wild speculation over here. Let's see how it ages over the next eight months. So MAGA, according to the Drudge Report this morning, is going to war with the Swifties. Courtney, is this smart or stupid? I mean, she has a lot of fans. She has a lot of fans. My recollection of her politics is in like twenty in the 2018 midterm, I seem to her recall her endorsing a couple of Democrats in Tennessee, and that actually caused a bit of a kerfluffle, uh, and they didn't win. Now she's far more popular, and she's dating this Travis Kelce, who I think the MAGA people don't like because he did the commercials for Pfizer because he wanted everyone to get the COVID shot. So they're mad about that. Mega nation. You have a, you have a choice to make. So you I, can either stick to the values that made you want to be MAGA in the first place, or you can stick to the the uh, cliche and to the trope and to basically you can you can affirm every stupid uh, comment made about you because you are being stupid if you believe there's a conspiracy of Taylor Swift and Taylor and, and what is his name? Kelsey. I, it's, it's insane. You don't know who Travis Kelsey is? I know who he is, but I forgot. <laughs> he has a brother too, and I, I, Jason and, and Travis. Yeah. I will say that in 2020, she made Biden 2020 cookies and said that she would vote for Joe Biden. She oh, made, really? She yeah. did. Yeah. Who cares? Wait, do you actually think she made that? I mean, you're a baker. Yeah, she bakes. You th- oh, she does? She does bake. So and she made See, Biden not, 2020 I, cookies. So I, she did come out for Joe Biden in 2020. I'm not I'm just going to throw this out. I'm not altogether certain she's like a raging liberal. I mean, she's a mega she's an uber capitalist. She is involved in a traditional courtship type relationship. Yeah. She makes cookies. I I don't know. I'm just I'm just saying she may not be she may not be a raging liberal. And why does it I, – I, I, and frankly, I wouldn't mind if someone is just not defined by their politics. I mean, I, this, I, mean I don't think politics defines who me, Taylor Swift is, let right? Me, let me tell you what I think. Let me take up for MAGA on this. Okay, Here's what I think. Try. I think that there is a general negative reaction to anything that they perceive as being crammed down their throats. And so if the media slash the cultural institutional drivers of national conversation all appear to be screaming at you, you must do this, you must like this, you must support this, anyone who doesn't support this and put this on their shoulders is wrong, they, there's just an immediate rejection of that. And I, have so, a, I have a word for people who are triggered by this. Ready? You're a snowflake. <laughs> You're, if you if you're going to complete if your if your life is going to be affected by oh they showed Trev, they showed uh, Taylor Swift during the Super Bowl or during the game just get over it yeah I mean how fragile are you I think I think it's I think so for them stupid. I think they're worried she's going to going to weaponize the Swifties in this election Do you think Biden will go to an Eras tour stop uh, is it after four o'clock in the afternoon usually? <laughs> because he it's might so, be asleep no. by then. He might be asleep by then. I, I, you know, back in 2012 when I worked for Mitt Romney, I remember in Ohio. I mean, it's no, it's it's no uh, great uh, uh, 
you know, new thing for, for music celebrities to engage. I mean, I remember there was a, a big rap concert in Columbus, Ohio, like the night before the election in mm-hmm. 2012. I think maybe, uh, I forget. It was, it was several major acts that converged on Columbus to do a big concert. So I, this is not new, but I do, I am convinced based on the crowds and the amount of money and economic activity she generates that she does carry some cultural significance beyond most other celebrities. So I can see why it would be politically worrying. But whether that translates for Biden, I don't know. I would argue that most of her fans can't vote. You, you think you don't think she has fans over 18? I would say she has more fans under 18. Let me ask you this. If 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 who who, who what's Biden's soft spot? Like these young voters, 18 to 30. I mean, who is a better spokesperson for Biden to the young female 18 to 30 set than Taylor, Taylor Swift? Nobody. I mean, I mean that, that is a worrisome item. I don't know if this actually, from a political standpoint, as far as her effect, which I think is a, a legitimate question because Taylor Swift is as culturally important to this generation as Elvis and the Beatles were to their respective generations. Yeah. And so as a, as a result, you have to look at then, okay, what kind of reverberations does that have politically? Mm-hmm. And if, in fact, she would have said decide to get involved, I think that would be a concern for any political campaign. And I would say the people who are most dedicated to the young female fans you're talking about, Courtney, are going to be their dads. You know, And if, so if you're attacking a 12-year-old girl for her love of Taylor Swift, don't get between, you know, that little girl and, and and her dad because he will attack you. What what I so don't don't, yeah. don't let's, let's let's not weaponize let's not uh, uh, radicalize suburban dads who who just want to take their their daughter to a Taylor Swift show. Most importantly, do you all agree or disagree with Vivek that the Super Bowl will be rigged for the Chiefs? He should just leave. <laughs> I mean, he's arguing that the, I will trade him for the immigrants. The outcome is predetermined. Because Taylor Swift and Joe Biden said so. I love it. It says the deep state psych op orchestrated by the <laughs> NFL and Democrats to work in President Biden's favor. Yeah. That is some that's why, some why should we gymnastics. even I guess because he's saying it we ha- we should comment on it, but it's it is so what what is the word that you galactically is the word you use as far as stupidity. Yeah. It is galactically stupid. Yeah. It really is. And it's and the problem is is there are enough people <laughs> Who have been led down this train? Well, you 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 got it. There there is a market for conspiracies. I mean, there is a group of there's a group of people. Vivek was their patron saint. There's a conspiracy in everything. You know, there's a conspiracy because there isn't enough ripe fruit at the, you know, at the supermarket. There's a conspiracy in the Taylor Swift. There's a conspiracy. I mean, every single thing. You know, the, the, the basic assumption is is that you've not been told the actual truth, so let me construct a reality that explains it for you. And uh, it's a it, – it, it, it must well, be – actually, it, it must be extraordinarily hard work to do – I mean, to, to have to explain every single mundane daily item as – here, let me construct the elaborate conspiracy behind – why this stop sign is here and not at the next intersection. You know, it, 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 it must be, I mean, the thing about exhausting. the neurons being rewired no. in your brain to, to do it all. When you think about it, though, it's a franchise. It is, you know, it's the mega franchise, and it, it is the construction of the alternate reality. And the more that you can build that ecosystem of that and own that, because nobody else is going to admit to those things because they're not true, then that's your place. No one else is going to say it. What I'm just saying is they, they own the franchise of, of conspiracy theories and, and just wacky you know, ways of looking at things, and which is unfortunate because, again, what I'll, I'll go back to the very first thing which I said is I think the root nature of Americans is we want what's best for our country. And I think the root nature of people who are the mega movement, they want what's best for our country. But then you have people who are very willing and, and actually not just willing to, but they, their whole M.O. is to manipulate. And grift. Right. I, I, I think I think you're on to something, that you have well-meaning people in both spectrums who are easily taken advantage of by these extraordinarily smart grifters. You've got the Viveks on one side. You've got the Stacey Abrams. There's some news no about her in Georgia. Absolutely. Today, her, her, her thing is laying off people today, and mm-hmm. you, know, you go through all the finances of that. So... So you ha- you take these very well-meaning people who care deeply about their community and their country, and somebody's always willing 
to take uh, advantage of. But but in order to do it, you have to keep building on the last grift. You have to, and so and so at some point, extreme. at some point, the mountain of bullshit <laughs> becomes so high that you wonder, will it ever topple? Right. And ultimately, too, I mean, if you truly cared about our country, if you were Vivek or whomever else, you have to realize that that. You know that that Jenga tower is going to come down. You know, at, 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 if you're building this upon such a, a a fallacious foundation, you know that it's just it's it's it doesn't hold water, and you're going to and which was sad because you could have some core beliefs that are are good for our country, but all you but you're sacrificing all of them for the bullshit. But 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 you got to admit we have been told some bullshit. <laughs> Oh, I mean, we we have been told no some things. That's that, the issue: is you start to go down the rabbit hole, and yeah. there are some questionable <laughs> items, and then you're like, "Well, yeah. is, I mean, it, the, is the, it really far fetched to think?" I mean, the official narrative has, on numerous occasions lately, yes, crumbled, and that is that's what helps the grift. That's what helps the grifters is every time the official narrative crumbles, it gives them credibility. And so that's why the people who are the official narrative creators need. Need to do oh, better. I'm not. I'm not defending. I mean, I know we're talking about immigration here shortly, but this is sort of the whole, you know, um, kabuki theater, or just sort of like don't believe what your lying eyes tell you as far as the immigration crisis. How long have we gone in this country where the Im- immigration has been a crisis at the border? Yeah, and the, the Biden administration and Democrats have said, "Oh no, 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 you're, you're just you're just making this up. This is not a this is not a crisis for for the last three years. Right, everybody from Joe Biden to his press secretary." Corinne Jean-Pierre and his Homeland Security Secretary and his Vice President have repeatedly told the American people the border is secure. And all of a sudden here at the 11th hour of the election, Joe Biden's like, oh, this hadn't been secure for 10 years and I'm going to be tough on the border and I'm going to close the border. Is there a single American who believes that Joe Biden would know what getting tough on the border would look like if it fell out of the sky and hit him in his backwards hard hat? I mean, of course. I mean, no one is going to buy this garbage. No, absolutely not. <laughs> not I mean, a single person. I'm just going to go back to the basics of you have been president now for almost four years, and you have nothing to show except for making Kamala your czar. Yes. And that was a stupid decision. You and know, now you have nothing to go back on. You raise, I think, one of the fundamental problems with this guy. On this topic, the two people he appointed <laughs> to deal with this, Mayorkas and then Kamala Harris, are so woefully inept but so breezily lie that it has destroyed his own credibility. So last night I'm on – we're recording this, by the way, on Wednesday morning, uh, a little after 9 a.m. Eastern. So I'm on last night in the House is debating articles of impeachment against Mayorkas, and you know they're like, oh, this is – you know, what do you think about this, and is this – Terrible idea. And, and look, I think it, it does weaponize impeachment to just start you know, impeaching people who you have vehement disagreements with. On the other hand, if Mayorkas had a lick of shame, he would resign because he has been such a failure. And if Joe Biden had a lick of sense, he would fire Mayorkas to show that he's holding people accountable. But shame and sense are in short supply in this administration. I was texting with a, a House member last night who's nervous about the idea. Well, like, what happens if Trump wins and the Democrats have the House? Well, I mean, they're going to impeach every cabinet member. Oh, right? absolutely. Who they, they disagree with. So yeah. they're, they're worried about the slippery slope. But, but he said to me, he said, but on the other hand, what, what recourse do we have? This guy won't enforce federal law. That's and he point. lies to right. us. He lies to Congress and he lies to the American people. And so what are you supposed to do when someone is literally derelict in their duty and lies to your face about it? I do think that there is a dangerous precedent, as you're pointing out, that you can – impeachment's already gone that direction, by the way. We've already seen that as being more of a sure. political tool than it is a, a, a corrective measure, if you will. I think on the Ukrainian impeachment, the Democrats sort of lowered the bar. Right. I think they lowered the bar for Absolutely. it. And no now question. this is kind of the rules they wrote. That's exactly right. So, But I think you're right. Who's going to end up saying, well, you know, calling a timeout because the next administration will result in – you know, the Secretary of Transportation being impeached for not, you know, implementing light rail, you I know? Mean, I, mean, so, I mean, the uh, truth is, if you want to impeach somebody, why don't you just impeach Joe Biden over this? I'm, he is the ultimate He's the person final, who can decide. The buck stops I here. Agree. Now, that said, I do think that there is there are some very uh, legitimate 
impeachable um, you know arguments being made here. But to your point about not enforcing the Immigration and Nationality Act, if you're doing a catch and release system versus, uh, yeah, you know, actually detaining people, and that's what the law says you have to do, and you are just you're flouting it. You're just saying I, I'm going to choose to enforce the laws that I agree with versus the ones that you know the, the Congress has passed. I don't know how. So I guess the question is, what is the remedy for that? There are elections, certainly. There is you can impeach the, the the president who's not enforcing the law. Yes. So maybe it is impeaching Biden well, over versus Mayorkas. But, but I don't know. I mean, I'm 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 not a legal scholar on this, and so but I I understand people have said it doesn't quite rise to that level. I understand you're concerned about precedent, but I'm sort of more leaning on the direction of even though I'm I I think Mega is insane for being you know uh, concerned about Taylor Swift. I think in this regard, this is maybe the most that I'm aligned with Mega. On the impeachment of Mayorkas. I can I could support it. Well, I mean, what what is the president's oath of office? To preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States, to uphold the laws of the United States. Right. And you could argue Joe Biden is not upholding the laws of the United States on this, but he flouts he flouts federal laws all the time. Right. You know, look at what's happened on student loans. You know, he, he gets overruled by the Supreme Court and then they just basically do it other ways and he goes out and brags about it. So this is effectively a lawless administration to start with, and you throw this on top of it, I mean, my, if I were my workers, I would say, look, I, what's that old commercial about the drugs? Like, I learned it from watching you, Dad. <laughs> That's where my workers learned it, from watching Joe Biden flout the friggin' law all the time. So, yeah, I think if you want to impeach someone, Joe Biden has violated his oath of office for not enforcing the law. Why do you think Biden doesn't just fire him? I mean, do you think that the what because it's an admission of because it's an admission of fault. Yeah, it's an admission right. that he was wrong. It's an admission that he was a liar. It. I mean, look at the polling on this. He, they are so far in the toilet on this, and to fire him, I guess, is to say we absolutely lied to you and we were wrong, which they're never going to do. Now, I kind of think coming out now and saying, "Well, I'm ready to close the border. If only they would give me the." That's kind of an admission. That you were wrong. Now, the, the, I'll be a conspiracy theorist now because that's what we started the show with, <laughs> this right? This fun. Go ahead, Joe. I, Let's I, hear it. I think one reason why Mayorkas is staying in there is because if he's uh, if he's out of the equation, then all the attention focuses squarely on Kamala because yeah. she is the failure here too. Yeah. And so he's, this is a way to, to just kind of distribute the negative, you know, where yeah. you have – he can be the um, – take all the punches and she And can maybe kinda, that's why they kept him in there. And, and they're how? like, you're just going to get all the punches so that we can kind of keep ourselves – And maybe you can't confirm somebody right now. I mean, maybe there's nobody to get and nobody to confirm. So you're just kind of left with the mess right. that you have. So so they're, so this thing's going – we got three things on immigration. We've got – uh, the Mallorca situation, which is unfolding as we record this. You've got the legislative situation, the Senate Republicans trying to hammer out a deal to do something about the border. And then you've got the situation with Texas in a standoff with the Biden administration about the razor wire at the border. Well, why don't we talk about the, the law first? The, the possible the possible law. law. And let's actually, if we could, uh, because this is, well, if you don't mind... Uh, well, first of all, what that would do. First of all, what it was, we, we don't know exactly because right. it hasn't been published, but all we, we've been told by the folks who are negotiating this that we're, we're getting yeah. to a point with, with something more fundamentally or something stronger than what, we, what we've done in the past. Yeah. Well, they have, they have no bill right now. There's no so text. That's like that there's no text. So it's they're all just it's waiting hurting. to see the text. That's anybody that goes on TV, it's really funny because they're like, yeah, we're going to do something. It's going to be great, but uh, we're waiting for the text. Or even worse, the people trying to destroy it are going on TV claiming to know what it's going to do. Yes. And how it's going to be worse than ever and terrible, which, you know, it's like we got a, a bunch of amazing Karnaks, you know, in right. Congress. No one has seen the text. But, but what I have been led to believe is that at a minimum, it's going to change federal policy on the parole and asylum authorities of the president, which will effectively give him a way to scale back and more quickly deal with the people who show up at the border claiming asylum, which is, I guess, virtually everyone now. Right. So that would be an incremental help. The The, the Trump wing of the party doesn't want it because it just isn't build the wall, which you're never going to get Democrats to do, I guess. So that's kind of the impasse. And then the political impasse is Trump doesn't want Biden to be able to sign a bill into law. That's right. And so you've got that. And then you've got some left, left flank Democrats who don't want to, they like, this is what their preferred policy. 
They love what's going on right now. They want unfettered open borders, so they're mad about it. But the main problem is is that there's no bill text to defend, in my opinion. And then also, for your Republican, who are the main cheerleaders of this right now? Joe Biden, Chris Murphy, people that I don't think have any credibility on it. Now, the one guy that I think is being unfairly crapped upon is Oklahoma Senator Jim Lankford. And he has been the, the sort of the designee of the Republican conference to try to cut this deal. And he is doing, I think, his level best. Let's hear from Jim Lankford of Oklahoma. Good morning to you, sir. It has taken you two months to get this bipartisan deal. Do you have the support of your fellow Republicans to actually vote this through? Well, actually, I wish it would have taken only two months. It's taken about four months to be able to go through this. We started in October. Uh, everyone's looking to be able to read the bill at this point. That's the key aspect. We're working on the final uh, aspects of it to try to be able to get it out so everyone can get a chance to read it. Right now, they're all functioning off of Internet rumors of what's in the bill, and many of them are false. Uh, so people want to be able to just see it, read it, go through it, and to be able to see the dramatic change uh, that this really makes and how we handle our immigration system and how we work to be able to secure our border completely. That's been the simple request of Americans, whether you're Republican, Democrat, or Independent. People just want a secure border where we have legal immigration, but we're not promoting illegal immigration. And that's what we've seen the last three years. I think it's terrible how Langford is being treated. On it. I mean, look, the Republicans, Joe, well, and Courtney, well, actually, if we could, let's, let's hear from Don Jr. on Langford. All right. Okay. So here's, here's Don Jr. And then basically threatening his gubernatorial prospects in the future. Yep. They will bankrupt this country for Ukraine. You know what they won't do? They won't spend 1% of it on our southern border. Now I'm watching, you know, Senator Lankford of Oklahoma. Amazingly enough, this is going to work out great for his uh, gubernatorial campaign. Working out a deal where they allow 5,000 a day. That's going to be the baseline. Guaranteed. A Republican's agreeing this because he's getting steamrolled. Because they're morons. Our people, you know, it's, Trump was effective in negotiation because he's actually been in a negotiation before. It wasn't like, hey, trillions of dollars are on the line. Let me take a crack at this. Let's see what happens. So what, what is Jim Langford's sin that, okay, the Republican Party convinced the American people that this is the number one issue in America, which, by the way, some polling shows this in swing states. This is the top issue. So the Republicans go out and convince everyone that immigration is a crisis and it's the number one issue. And then he says, okay, well, I'm a Republican senator. Maybe I should do something about it. And he's being attacked for trying to do something about it. I mean, that his sin is working on the thing that we said was a crisis. We called it an invasion. And now, and now they want him to say, well, it's an invasion, but let's put it off for a year. Right. It's not reasonable. No, I think this issue, I think what's more important is this issue started when Biden became president because his overall tone on immigration, I think people saw an in. And you did not see that when you had Trump as president, for better or for worse. And you can't fix that. When your president literally is saying, oh, it's fine. Come on into the country. We're going to weaken the border. That's why you have the 34-month history of record immigration coming in. People get upset when you remind them of this. But Joe Biden's day one, he did like 90 executive actions on day one, essentially reversing all the Trump policies. But even before that, and, and they always dispute you, but you can roll the tape. Joe Biden's stated campaign promise on immigration was what? I will give free health care to every illegal immigrant. He right. raised his hand raised with his everybody hand. else. Right. So the message right out of the gate was, come on in. Right. Then the administrative work was, come on in. Mm -hmm. And three years later, we're having record crossings. The Border Patrol's overwhelmed. Oh, by the way, people have also conveniently forgotten the time that the border guys, the border guard on the horses... We're trying to stop the illegals from coming across. And Joe Biden participated in the conspiracy theory that they were whipping right. migrants with the reins. He went to the podium and contributed to that conspiracy theory, which, by the way, wasn't true. Wasn't true. Everything he's done on this until now has been, come on in. We're sorry for trying to stop you. And now we're expected to believe him when he says he wants to no no republican so the problem with the bill is to get back to that if he is the principal cheerleader why would a republican be for it <laughs> i mean i mean why well would he he yeah. certainly needs to do more to earn some credibility which might be impossible at this point but to your point about executive orders uh, 
he certainly uh, could make could reverse the executive orders that he first did when he got into office. Yes. So that would be a, a grand gesture of goodwill. Now, politically, on his left flank, he can't do that. So I, I understand he's in a box there, but that's a, that's a box of his own construction. Yeah, humility and good faith would help here. Right. Uh, but I, I will say in the grand, you know, grand scheme of things, you know, the reason why executive orders are a factor here in the first place is because Congress has been inept on this issue for a generation, if not longer. We, we, we've never been able we've – been, we've been trying to tackle immigration and, and what to do with this policy for as long as I can remember is being alive. Trump got close, but he couldn't close the deal. Right. So it's, it's, it's on Congress. But then the third point is to say this as far as mega, Trump, whatever. Either this is a crisis or it's not. And if we believe this is truly a humanitarian crisis, and it is, it's a crisis for our country – it's a crisis for the people who are being encouraged to come across the border. These are families in many respects, in addition to terrorists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm saying these are people. And so, Scott, I, I think it's important to, to, to remember for anyone who might be defending Biden or Democrats for having maybe a good impulse to say try to help people. No, you're not helping anyone by encouraging them to do dangerous things and illegal things in the first place. You know, let's not set up a, a, the construct in the first place. But beyond, beyond all of that is is the fact that this well, it's broken, and if, and if I'm Trump or whatever else, at a certain point, if there, I guess the question is, are you willing to accept take yes for an answer? So much of, now, I understand that the text has not been released, so I'm I'm basing some of this upon what I've what the spokespeople have said about it. But if they're going to get closer to what your position is than what it is now, then why not take that for a temporary win? And then if you win the presidency, you can go the rest of the way. Because they're, they're afraid that people will believe Joe Biden solved the problem. Yes. And I don't think that's true. He, I think he is so far down in this, and the people think he has so failed, that I don't think anyone— I mean, I, I think the American people are just as likely to believe that he was drug kicking and screaming right. into anything that happens. And so I, I, I have been leaning your direction on this, because how do you tell people crisis, invasion, and then— but. We can put it off pending the outcome of an election. We may not win. Right. So I'm. I'm and then what happens then, by the way? If we so, don't. Oh, my if, God. So if you don't win the election. They'll go right back to the way exactly. they were doing it. So, I mean, so lock it in. Lock in your gains, yeah. if you will, politically, and say, fine. We have them finally on the ropes to admit that it is a crisis, that it is hurting people. And ultimately, let's not lose sight of that. This is not just about, you know, getting a political score. This is about something which is hurting our country and hurting the people who are coming into our country. Let's do something about it. So on the, we're going to talk about some polling on the presidential later, but in this uh, new uh, morning consult swing state poll this morning. So in six out of seven swing states, the crisis at the border is the single most important issue to voters, eclipsing the economy. And two-thirds of the respondents said Biden is responsible. So it's the top issue, and they believe Biden has failed. I, I think if the Republican Party did something here, forcing Joe Biden to sign it, it would it would he I mean would be if, if, if it would be if it would be possible to make him look weaker, it would it, it it would look like they basically shoved him aside and said we had to take over because this guy was effectively uh, out to lunch here on this thing that you all have decided is the most important issue. But Donald Trump is not in office, and as a result, we can't have anything. Uh, positive happen because otherwise he can't take credit for it. The, the other the other thing plaguing Biden right now, I think, on credibility here is his administration's actions against the state of Texas. And before that, people forget the state of Arizona using the power of the J- Department of Justice to try to stop Texas from putting up razor wire along the border to secure the border. I mean, basically, you have Biden's administration. It's like reverse enforcing federal like they. They want to, they want to stop Texas from enforcing the laws that they won't enforce. It's it's a right. crazy, it's like a bizarro thing, but all of these states have come to the aid of Texas, and that includes Kentucky, not via our governor Andy Bashir, but via our new Attorney General Russell Coleman, who supports the Texas efforts. And from your perspective, you believe the Biden administration has failed so far on immigration? Is that where you stand so far? 
I, I, I look at the data. Look, look at what's happening. Look at the numbers. Uh, look at the fact that the Biden administration is choosing to use resources to fight the governor of Texas and, and the Texas state government's attempt to secure the border in court versus plugging those resources in and actually securing our southwest border. The facts are what they are. Look at those, the numbers pouring over that border. Look at the amount of dope. Look at that poison that we're seeing pouring over a southwest border. We don't produce methamphetamine in this state. We don't have clandestine labs anymore. And that's a good thing, Mario. But the bad thing is all of the methamphetamine, all of the fentanyl that's killing our kids, destroying our families, comes from Mexico. Where is the sense of urgency in tackling that? Certainly a sense of urgency in taking the governor of Texas to court. Where's the sense of urgency in securing our southwest border? Russell Coleman. Gotta love Russell Coleman. Just absolutely. He's had such an amazing first month. Yeah. I think he is killing it right now. And he's, But he put it all into context. He did. And this is what I was, yes. and, and I, of course, I didn't even mention the, the drug crisis. Thank you, uh, AG, for doing this, because this is this is the point. Yeah. Is it, I mean, here we're, we're poisoning is, this our is, country. This isn't an esoteric legal argument. Right. This is a real-world impact. Here's how it impacts people in Kentucky. Now, if you look at the map, you have all the Republican governors helping Texas. You know, Kentucky is conspicuous in the middle of the country for having a Democrat governor. Uh, but Russell stepped in and filled the breach. I'm here. happy that he did because our governor said, quote-unquote, he was not going to clamor of the latest political outrage, yeah. which was absolutely ridiculous because this immigration crisis, as you said, Joe. Is it a crisis or not? I think it's a crisis. And it's not it's not the latest. This is not a trendy thing that we're all talking about. This is literally something that for the last four years has escalated to this point where I think it's six out of seven swing states because people see it. You go to the Chicago airport, there's oh. those curtains. People in New York are seeing is literally affecting people's lives on a daily basis. It, it is curious to me that Bashir seems to care not about the connection between the border situation and the drug crisis in Kentucky. I mean, it, it is. I think it's basically accepted by most Kentuckians that that is the main nexus for our state. Yes, that it's the drugs, and for him to call it the latest political outrage. I mean, if I if I were a family that had lost someone, if I were a person struggling with this, if I had a child who had. Uh, been felled by this. I, I, I mean, to just to slough it off as the latest political outrage. Uh, Sad. I'm not. I'm not sure he's he's got the pulse on that. One. Quick uh, uh, credit to Mario Anderson at Spectrum for the interview with uh, Russell Coleman. When we come back, speaking of crises, what is the Middle East situation? Is it a crisis or not? All depends what month you're, I guess you're listening to this. Hey there, Flyover Country listeners. Today's episode is brought to you by the Bluegrass Media Lab, Kentucky's premier media studio. The Bluegrass Media Lab offers a wide array of services, including video production, podcasting, live shot broadcasting, web development, media training, and more. You name it, they do it. Head over to bluegrassmedialab.com today to get in touch. Now, back to more Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Flyover Country, and I'm Scott Jennings. I'm Joe Arnold. Courtney Op Norris. And we're in the studio. To, we're all together today. We've been having to do these via Zoom because I've been it's in New nice York. To see. I should point out, by the way, that Courtney actually made cookies. Oh, and man. I, I will come in person every time. She <laughs> did. It's, it's incredible. If you are listening to this podcast, if you can get your hands on a Courtney cookie... I highly so highly when do you add the salt? Like this at the very at the very end, as far as right yeah, when yeah, they come well, out of the oven. Well, there's salt in the dough too. There's salt in the dough, but we right right at the end in the oven. When do you when do you, I know you're working on this cookbook? I am. Like, yes. What is your target date for putting this out? I want to promote this on the fly. Um, my target date is fall of this year. Okay. If not, it'll be the spring. But I'd really like for it to come out in the fall. I've yes. got um, seventy five recipes in it so far. They're How much of them are cookies? Um, I is, it, say, is it all baking? It's all baking, yeah. all yeah. baking. I would say at least half are cookies. Wow. Yeah. All right. Very good. Yeah. We'll we'll look for that in the fall. So other things in the news, Joe Biden is now dealing with a crisis in the Middle East that has sadly now claimed this week the lives of three American service members. It's amazing though how far his administration, Joe, has come in the last four months. So we're gonna hear some sound. The first is Jake Sullivan, his national security advisor, four months ago. And then the second person you'll hear is Secretary of State Anthony Blinken this week. The war in Yemen is in its 19-month of truce. For now, the Iranian attacks against U.S. forces have stopped. 
Our presence in Iraq is stable. I emphasize for now because all of that can change. And the Middle East region is quieter today than it has been in two decades. I would argue that we have not seen a situation as, as dangerous as the one we're facing now across the region since at least 1973. <laughs> so, so you've got four months ago the National Security Advisor talking about how quiet and stable the Middle East is. Four months later, it's as dangerous as it's been since the 70s. I mean, you have to forgive the average American's head from spinning around. I think the average American probably knows that the Middle East is not a quiet place and will never be a quiet place and that our military carries an invisible load there constantly. I think it is, I think it is another example, though, of the Biden principle is it doesn't matter what's happening. Just go out and tell everybody it's fine. Immigration, secure. Middle East, quiet as it's ever been. Just because I think that's how stupid they think and want their voters to be. I mean, I mean, ultimately, that's all that that has to be the animating strategic theory. The people that we need to get to vote for us are so stupid that they will believe anything we say, even if it defies what they're seeing and hearing. So to have to come back four months later and admit that this is the most dangerous it's been in four months is a huge indictment of their communication strategy. But it's also an indictment of Biden's weakness. Weakness invites what's happening right now. And now American service people are dying. We're recording this Wednesday morning. He says he's decided on a course of action. It's like The Bachelor. You know, when, when are you going to tell us? Are you going to have a show and unveil your... Why don't we do something? Well, Why don't we it, do something? It reminds me of the lack of urgency with Ukraine, you know, uh, and, and Russia. Same, same. You know, where we're, we're, we're in a situation now where we're trying to, you know, get this... Funding over the, you know, over the over the finish line here, or at least over this 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 transom, but we wouldn't have been in this situation, I don't think, had we been more declarative and more definitive from the very beginning as far as what the American people are going to do about this. Yes, yeah, slowness and weakness, and I don't know. I mean, look, there's a lot of people on the right that are now mad that there are Republicans calling for retaliation for these drone attacks that have killed these. American service members, but I don't know how you let terrorists and other nations oh. attack American troops at will and kill them and not respond no. and not respond. So I, I and the I'm, longer it takes to respond, yeah, it just makes you wonder about you look weaker. Well, it, right. it makes weaker. me think Joe Biden is sitting with his political people somewhere, going, "How do we calibrate this politically and not?" in necessarily what's in the best interest of the U.S. as a national security matter, mm -hmm. but what's the political impact here? I mean, remember, he's fighting off a massive chunk of his political base that's mad about his posture on Israel. That's right. And so now you're going to end up, if you retaliate uh, on this thing, you're going to end up fueling, I guess, anger from that base again. He he is so hamstrung by these people. This, this thing he did, this where he, he stopped the liquid natural gas pipeline, and if you read the New York Times about it, it was in buried response. In, yeah, he met with a 25-year-old TikTok influencer and then put out a pause on the liquid, which has no emissions, by the way. This is not a this is not this is not anything that has to do with the climate. And so he's, I mean, understand America. All U.S. policy, small and large, is now being dictated by what Joe Biden thinks a 25-year-old TikTok influencer would think about what he's about to do. On the tragedy of the attack on the American troops in Jordan, perhaps emblematic of this is the fact that the White House spokesperson couldn't even find the words to be able to express condolences. Let's hear from Corrine Jean-Pierre in an absolutely embarrassing performance. What I will say, our deepest, uh, obviously our deepest condolences uh, go out and our heartfelt condolences go out to the families uh, who lost uh, three, three brave, uh, three brave, uh, three brave, of our, three folks who are who are military folks who are brave, who are always fighting, who are fighting on behalf and of uh, this administration, of the American people, obviously more so, more importantly, uh, we lost those souls. I mean, it's an it's an embarrassment. I think American heroes is the term that she's military was looking, folks, but military folks, and, and, I and, guess, is and, just as respectful. And, I don't know. And fighting on behalf of this administration? No, they're not your personal fighting. They're These, fighting for the freedom. They're of fighting Americans. for America. They they, mean, they they represent the American people and 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 our. Way of, they don't represent your administration. These America, are not these are not surrogates or pawns of Joe Biden. 
I, I, I this was, she is the worst. At this. I've, there's never been a worse press secretary. Everyone knows it. You ask any Democrat privately and they'll tell you. They know it's a disaster. Kirby is somewhat better, often better. He's often better. I, she's terrible. It, it infuriates me to watch her because she just says the fluffiest, dumbest things half the time. And if you are a military family or have oh, anyone is yeah. in the military, you would be, I, I'm irate. I would imagine if you're currently serving in the military, you'd be, folks, who calls their military American heroes folks? It, it's, it's, and, and you, you, when you can't muster just sort of basic human empathy, I mean, these family, I mean, these were, these were um, reservists. I mean, these are not, I mean, right. so they go, they get deployed right. and then this thing happens. She looks Can very... you imagine how devastated these families are? But not Corrine. She doesn't even look genuine when she says it. She looks robotic. I mean, just... It's not the first language, though. I mean, this is, this is something which is a, a, sort of a, an obligation of the job, but it's not why she got into it. And this, this, is, this is sort of like one of those necessary things that... You know what I'm saying? This is not, their, this is not her first... Uh, you mean like language. she doesn't want to stand up and talk to people, or what do you mean? By no, that? I, I, mean, I mean as far as I mean, talking about the military at all. The, mili- oh. the military is not necessarily something that she's interested in in the first place. She probably thinks it's a necessary evil. I mean, I'm, I'm, I know I'm projecting a lot there. Oh, this, so you think there's, like there's her not a personal level. beliefs yes. are are yes. are dictating the fact that she can't have respect. Remember, for... she she flows from the president's most progressive base which hates him right now for various things, a lot of it revolving around national security. So her instincts are where the people are who hate. I mean, remember, she's she is probably the architect of this whole, let's let the TikTok influencers tell us what right. to think. And so, to, so to, to your point, Joe, it wouldn't come natural to her right. to, care, okay. to care one damn bit no. about an American whole service member who died. It's, it's a, it, it sort of reminds me, and this is maybe, I don't mean to, uh, to minimize what, the, obviously, the sacrifice of these troops, but it reminds me when politicians go into rural areas and try to talk rural or agriculture, and and they're completely just <laughs> out of their uh, their their uh, comfort zone. Yeah, and it's just and you try and you say things like and it's like you just can't do it. I mean, at a certain point, you have to learn, you know, and be, yeah. and be, and be genuine. Speaking of communications failures, uh oh, <laughs> look, looking at me. I wanted to talk about this. Donald Trump, E. Jean Carroll story. I caught this clip the other night uh, that happened on MSNBC. So E. Jean Carroll gets this $83 million judgment against Donald Trump and then goes on to the Rachel Maddow show, and this is the exchange that ensued. You've talked about using some of Trump's money that you're about to get um, to help shore up women's rights. Do you know what that might be, what that might look like? Yes, Rachel. Yes. Tell me. I had such, such great ideas for all the good I'm going to do with this money. First thing, Rachel, you and I are going to go shopping. We're going to get completely new wardrobes, new shoes, motorcycle for Crowley, new fishing rod for Robbie. Rachel, what do you want? Penthouse? It's yours, Rachel. Penthouse and uh, France? You want France? You want to go fishing nope. in France? No? Oh. All no. right. All right. Okay. That's a joke. <laughs> a Although, joke. If, if me... Fi- so at the end of the clip there, you heard her lawyer. That was her lawyer. That's a joke. That's a joke because her the only person on that panel of, of chuckleheads that knew what a disaster was was the lawyer. The look on her face. So, so let me ask you guys a question. I, what is your gut instinct about this whole story. I mean, I I am deeply skeptical. No criminal investigation, long past the point where any physical evidence is available. We know from testimony that this whole idea was hatched at the home of Molly Jong Fast, who is a, you know, rabid, you know, anti-Trump conspiracy theory journalist. We know that it was hatched by George Conway, who is the most, you know, rabid, insane, never Trumper. We know that it is the plot of an episode of Law and Order, which Carol admitted she watches, she binge watches, and got the idea of this from the show. And literally the the, the, the same plot line, the exact same plot. I mean, at the same store, at the same store. Yeah. We and then we know that this case was brought in New York, in the most anti-Donald Trump jurisdiction there is. I mean, I, look, I. A jury found him liable, so 
you know, I have in the past respected juries. I got to say, there is a lot going on. And then you throw on top of it this cackling weirdness in the aftermath of it. It's You get the distinct impression that this is a group of people who know they just pulled off an amazing heist. A heist. Yes, absolutely. It's embarrassing for me just as a woman to see other women act that way. And you can't even take people seriously if anything legitimately happens to people, you can't take them seriously because of people like this. I mean, it just is a total disgrace. I, The idea that you could take Donald Trump, who is a deeply hated person in New York, politically hated and probably personally hated, and accuse him of something criminal, by the way, but long past the point where you could ever prove it, and then get a jury pool of people who hate him, and then on top of that, not just to find him liable, but then to hit him with this money because he, well, what did he do? He said, it's false. She's lying. I didn't do this. That was the defamation. Right. So not only do you have to accept, and remember, a civil case, this is all civil. It's not beyond a reasonable doubt. It's a majority or whatever of the jury. And so you get less standards on proving it. And then if you defend yourself, he's a public figure. So if you defend yourself saying, I didn't do this, you then get hit with defamation. I, I got to tell you. No, this, this is a whole proxy battle. This is, basically, is, is Donald Trump guilty of, of being a jerk, of being a womanizer, of being at times a misogynist? Sure. But and this, this, this put him on trial for those things. This is a way for them to say he's everything that we hate, so we're going to make him pay for that. And But it is a a gross miscarriage of justice because there is no proof. There is no criminal case. It has passed the yeah. statute of limitations. And this is this is this was them basically getting their comeuppance for why they hate Donald Trump. Do you think it'll get appealed? I do. He and he's appealing it, yes. And, and and I and I and I believe he will ultimately prevail. I now, hope so. Now I I saw this morning, by the way, that apparently I think Caitlin Collins at CNN was reporting this that maybe he's looking at other lawyers mm-hmm. to handle the appeal. I will say this. I have no confidence in his current legal team. And I think a discerning Republican could look at this and say, well, so much of what happens to him in this election is going to be determined by how good the lawyers are in the courtrooms. Who's left? And so, well, I mean, if I were in his shoes, I would find the best appellate law firm Mm -hmm. there is. But, you know, after the according to the Times, after the Iowa caucus, he fired a staffer from his campaign who oversaw the one county that they lost by one vote. Johnson County. They fired the person and wouldn't let them fly back on the plane. Yeah. These people just cost him eighty three million dollars. Yeah. So I don't I'm just saying <laughs> he may, he may maybe look at who he fires. Maybe he get does. maybe get a better legal team. But on the Can whole they use the Rachel Maddow. <laughs> I, that's why I think the lawyer said that's right. a joke. That's a joke because on a P yes, I think you walk into a courtroom and you say, Look what and play doing. that and say right. say this was obviously a heist. It was a it was a created heist. Look, they're laughing about it. They're laughing yeah. about it. I don't know. I I have I have been skeptical of this from the beginning because E. Jean Carroll, even before this clip, I mean, she did an interview with Anderson Cooper once and said some kooky, kooky things. So I'm color me skeptical. I think Trump got railroaded here. I think they're going to appeal it, but I hope he gets better lawyers when he does it. Joe, I think we should take a break because when we come back. We got to do our political roundup heading towards South Carolina. I'm going to ask South Carolina, yeah. We got some polling and we got some scene red herd. When we come back on Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Welcome back to Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. I am the Cookie Monster Joe Arnold. It, it was almost the case that you were all you you that we were like a second from coming back too early because you were. I was just savoring it, running that cookie through. Courtney Yap Nurse. The cookbook is out this <laughs> fall. Is there a name of this cookbook yet? Not yet. Okay, so there's a no. working time. You can email. I'll have a name, can we so have a naming contest? Sure. You can, we'll you have can a naming tweet contest. or X or whatever to uh, to Courtney and to us and let us know about what we. What the cookbook should be called. I know. That would be All a great right, idea. Very good. I don't know. Cooking with Courtney. Um, yeah. <laughs> what's what's cooking in South Carolina, Scott? We have a long this long period now. We went from, you know, back to back one two punch with Iowa and New Hampshire. Yeah. Now is is Nikki Haley still a thing? Well, first of all, it's South Carolina's not even the next state. It's oh, Nevada. Nevada. Which has this weird they have a primary which is not awarding any delegates, and then they're having a caucus which Trump is gonna dominate. So he'll get all the delegates in Nevada. 
Then we go to South Carolina. And <laughs> you know, I'm going to just be honest. I didn't mean to do that. I slammed my hand down on the board accidentally. But it fit so well. <laughs> but it hit the perfect button. I did not. I promise you that I, I'm sitting in a different seat today. So I didn't plan that. But anyway, <laughs> that, that was so perfect. This, by the way, just FYI, this is like when the when the Velociraptors figure out how to open the doorknob. Now that I know how this part works, oh, this is not a, not a good development in the history of the podcast. You have all of the buttons you can. All right, I have all the buttons. So, so we go to South Carolina, and the question is: Haley was the governor. Can she compete? There has been some polling put out. Uh, Tony Fabrizio, who's uh, Donald Trump's pollster threw out a poll yesterday uh, showing Donald Trump winning 66 to 31, which was very similar to a 68-28 result that he got on January the 18th. There have been some other public polls uh, in South Carolina that have shown a similar margin. Basically, Trump is ahead by 30-something points in South Carolina. Now, Haley, for her part, is running around... uh, with the strategy of, uh, well, we're getting under his skin. We're getting under his skin because since he won the New Hampshire primary and went crazy on Nikki Haley, you know, they're trying to basically needle him into mistakes. But I'm not getting the impression that it is moving voters. It may be angering him, but I, I'm from the polling. So Morning Consult uh, issued their national Republican primary ballot test uh, a couple of days ago. Donald Trump, 81. Nikki Haley, 18. So it's getting worse nationally for Haley. It doesn't appear to be getting any better in South Carolina. Uh, so I don't, I guess the short answer to your question is no, I don't think she's still a thing. Now she's hanging around and she claims she's going to be in through Super Tuesday, but I, I don't know what that means when the Republic, the actual Republican voters who will make the decision have already made up their mind. They're not, they're not open to persuasion. I just want to ask a little straw poll here. Have you all ever come in contact with anyone in your lives who said, I support Nikki Haley, and I'm going to vote for her. I've had some donors tell me that. They have, okay. I've heard from, so, donor types. I uh, looked in the mirror sometimes and wondered that. <laughs> Joe, has been a, Joe has been a Haley proponent. From the proponent. very beginning, I mean, when, from her, when she rolled out her campaign, that first speech that she gave, I texted you or called you, Scott, and I said, I could get behind this. Okay, I thought the same thing originally. I feel like she's good on paper, terrible in person. I've come to the fact that I'm not, I'm not a huge fan. I understand. But most people I talk to are either just they don't they don't like anybody, but they're not ever for her. Like I don't well, I don't know where like she, she gets she, this. She's the alternative. She, she's, she's an avatar for everybody who wanted something other than Trump. Whether that is the most rabid anti-Trumper mm-hmm. or just the average Republican who's like, meh, let's move on. And I'm gonna count myself among that person that that populace. Yeah. Well. So she's yeah. basically become a holding pin for for. The, but by the way, those people. I mean, I. You know, there's people in that pen who are in, I think, pretty extreme disagreement with each other on policy. Oh, and, no question. But but she is the last sort of avatar for that. And and the real question is, you know, when Trump goes ahead and gets the nomination, of the people in that group, how many of them return to the Trump pen and how many of them stay out? No, she is not going to be a galvanizer at that point. If Trump, for whatever reason, whether he's in prison or decides that he can't afford this, of course, at this point, I guess his entire campaign is going to be built upon being able to raise enough money to pay off all the settlements as well as keep himself out of jail for the next four years. So, I mean, he's, he's all in, obviously. So I don't see him backing out voluntarily. Um, anyway, but I, I do think that he uh, that, that she is that, that holdover. But at the same time, she's not the natural person to be able to bring everybody else together. I mean, if in fact, let's just say, and this is, again, since we started with conspiracy theories, let's start with the, the wild, unlikely prospect of the convention making a difference and at that point you know trump not being the nominee and then what happens at a brokered convention i i uh well that's not gonna happen. i mean i i, I know I'm, I'm but i'm just exercising fantasy for 10 seconds well i'll tell you what would happen yeah is that most of the delegates there would be for trump i mean that the thing is he you, i think people just underestimate that there's some there's always been this weird belief that virtually everyone who walks into the convention hall is somehow secretly plotting to overthrow Trump. That's just not true. I mean, most of the people walking in there are going to be like, let's do Trump. So I think to beat them in that scenario is highly unlikely. Uh, and, I, you know, like this Eugene Carroll thing, like the, the legal it, – it's not hurting him. It's helping him with Republicans. And oddly enough, even though despite all my 
previously stated and repeated uh, problems with Donald Trump, I can't help but if somebody is being treated unjustly, yeah, to sympathize with that. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, you know. So suddenly I find myself saying, "Well, despite the fact that MAGA has been manipulated and grifted, I'm going to go ahead and come over to your side here." Yeah. During this, because I don't believe that somebody should be, should be railroaded. And, and and I think if you're the Trump campaign, that's what you're counting on, mm-hmm. is that ultimately the people who don't like a lot about what he stands for or what his people do, there's going to be enough sympathy for what happens to him right. that you say, well, I, I don't like I, I, the, the people who are the most ardent haters of him. I can't abide. Yeah. So I gotta I gotta stick with him, even though I'm deeply uncomfortable with it. There's a lot more deep state going on with E. Jean Carroll than there is with with Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, uh, so well, well, let's just let's just no, admit, not good. polls. Go ahead. Yeah. Let's just admit for a minute that Trump's got it. Yeah. Let's just so today this morning as we went on the air, Morning Consult uh, issued its latest round of swing state polling. Let me read them, and Hear it. and if you're a Democrat listening, prepare to weep. Arizona, Trump 47, Biden 44. Georgia, Trump 49, Biden 41. Michigan, Trump 47, Biden 42. Nevada, Trump 48, Biden 40. Eye-popping, by the way. North Carolina, who, by the way, Democrats keep telling me they're going to contest North Carolina. Trump 49, Biden 39. Wisconsin, Donald Trump 49, Biden 44. Seven states, seven statistically significant leads for Donald Trump. Courtney Op Norris, is there any chance that, Don, that, that Joe Biden is not the Democratic nominee for president in this year? Um, no. I, oddly enough, I got a text message from someone who's not politically active saying that they heard a rumor that Michelle Obama was going to get to step in and run. <laughs> that's, uh, the fan- for, that's the fantasy of for, all these, uh, uh, Biden. And I just kind of laughed and I um, thought there's just no way, you know, I explained to them a little bit about I went back to George Washington and how he gave up, you know, the presidency people wanted to keep because he wanted democracy. But like it's very and that's very touching because you don't see that people get the presidency and they want to keep it. They don't. What? They don't want to give it up. And he sees this as his destiny, right? He's been waiting for this since the early '80s. He sees it. It's his destiny right now to be president, to beat Donald Trump. A lot has changed since 1968, but I'm trying to remember what month it was that LBJ gave the White House address and said, "I will not accept. I will not seek, and I will not accept the nomination for president from my party." And that I believe it was like February of '68. I have to look that up real quick here, but I'm at my point. Point being is, I still stand by. I, I think I, I look forward to our October shows when you're still polling the podcast about whether Biden is actually going to be the Democrat I still think, nominee. I'm I, sorry, Joe. I'm sorry to tell you and the person who texted me. They, they, they. It was like their hope that maybe they would not have to vote for Biden, and maybe that's where these poll numbers are coming from. This is what Biden's baking on, right? That these poll numbers, people don't believe it's actually going to be Trump. At the end of the day, and by October, when all these Democrats wake up and realize Trump is the person that Biden has to be, they, they're just going to magically come back and vote for him? I think the Democrats think, whether it's Biden or anyone else, there's just too many people in the country who won't vote for Trump. Therefore, he will just win. He will just win. Kind of and, and away. Yeah. I don't buy that, though. I think people remember you. what it was like when he was president. They don't really care that he says what he says, and I don't buy that it's Haley's helping by goading him. I think like, Democrats are ultimately going to figure out that Joe Biden can't beat Donald Trump, and I think that Joe Biden will be dismissed. I think you think you get two old guys nope. in a in the pool. I yeah. understand. And they both have an anvil on their head, and we'll see which one's a stronger swimmer. By the way, it was it was get, this <laughs> yeah. is amazing. This is, shows you how much things have changed. March thirty first of the election year, nineteen sixty eight, is when LBJ announced he would not run yeah. for re election. That's interesting. You know, so and that was, and then of course the frantic uh, and, and and tragic. Uh, the Democrats know, also primary. they also sort of take it on faith that a their voters are stupid and will believe anything they say, and b they also believe that the economic indicators are going to continue to trend in a way that basically crescendos in the fall with the American people going, oh, I guess the economy is good. Well, this is where the crises that we just talked about are are are, are making it a political as well as an economic uh, uh, you know, odds against that happening because everything is being stacked against. If you look at gas prices, for instance, that the Middle East is still going to be in turmoil, which is almost assured at this point around Election Day. I just don't see this 
I, I, the economy is not going to be able to rebound, I don't think, that quickly. Well, that's what they think. I mean, they, they believe, if you look at the stats today, if you look at the stock market, if you look at the situation, that over over the next several months, it's going to become obvious that, quote, it's all working. That, But that's, I mean, you're really hoping to turn a battleship quickly and, and that the American people, also, they're hoping people just forget, forget. Inflation and everything they were mad about. I don't you know, know what I forgot in the last several it's a lot podcasts of hope. is, hope's not is, a strategy, is seen, read, heard on here on the Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. So, Courtney, Scott, any scenes? I'll start just yeah. to get the ball rolling here because I was in, in uh, Donald Trump land a couple of weeks ago with my sisters, sisters Elisa, Angela, and Carissa. And we were celebrating Elise, uh, uh, Angie and Chrissy's uh Milestone birthdays, turning 50 and 60, respectively. Where are you in the lineup of the siblings? I'm five of six. Okay. Which explains, explains a lot. Explains so much. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I was, we have to clamor for attention at the table, you know? That's why, and there's never any leftovers left over because I will eat the rest <laughs> of them. That's part of the problem. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, I found it. I got I to gotta use it. Anyway, had a great time with my sisters. and But we saw that the, the, the new, the kind of, the, I had never heard of this before. A Broadway show called Kimberly Akimbo, charming. And it's a bad title because I had I my sister picked it. and I was like, I don't know what we're going to see. It sounded somewhat. I wasn't sure what it was all about. Charming, fun. It's the the plot line is a little bit too difficult to explain right here. And the end of I'll just say I if you get a chance if you're ever in the, in the city and you're able to see a Broadway show, I would recommend that. Is highly. it off Broadway or Broadway? It's on Broadway. It's actually at the Booth Theater. It won the Tony Award for Best Musical. Wow, I think I last watch year. Watch award shows. So. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> but but um, a lot of young people, uh, like teens or, or young twenties, in the in the show, and it's it's about a. Um, Did you feel hip and cool, Joe, when you saw it? Are you like trying to? <laughs> I don't know if I ever felt hip or cool, but I appreciate you even saying those words. Since Sean's not here to give you a hard time, I felt like I had to step in a little bit. I'm just going to be honest. The fact that you guys have never let me sit in this chair and to figure out how I these buttons I think I'm going to go work. back to working the board. <laughs> this is amazing. I am, I am so happy about this. Have you seen, read, or heard anything you want to share with the um, audience? Uh, since we talk a lot about baking, I act. <laughs> well, now, that didn't that make did, any sense. Joe did that and that did not. By the way, the label on that one says scary. Go ahead. Go ahead. Gosh, I don't have anything scary. I actually finished... Um, I have three kids, so I don't watch a lot of television, but I actually got to finish The Great British Baking Show on Netflix, oh, which yeah. I absolutely love, and they're just so endearing in the way they speak. I just want to speak like that all the time, like British. The fact that the whole calming. thing is like done outside in a tent. is amazing. It just seems Wait, to be- Wait, why? I, you, know, you think they could afford actual buildings in Great Britain? But they have this whole thing set up. So I'm going to so- tell you, I really want to be on one of these like cookie shows where like the mm-hmm. great Christmas cookie challenge. And I always apply, but I guess I'm not the demographic that they're looking for. I always apply. I never get on. But my idea for a cooking show was a mom trying to bake thousands of cookies while her three kids are asking her for help with homework and making T-shirts. That and, is a challenge. Um, working a real job like that. Yeah. That's really. How do, how do you get on? You have to go and like audition, or like yeah, what's the... you have to like I don't know. I made videos, and you if had only to fill she out a had form. some like some access like to some major marketing or public relations firm. Oh. Yeah, maybe <laughs> I can right. just get. Can you be my agent and get me on one of these? It's amazing. The we don't know. I will support this. <laughs> if Scott and Runswitch PR will not support your baking adventures, I will do whatever I Thank can you. to Thanks. advance this. Don't you want to see me on Food Network? Make I cookies? do. I yeah, do. I think I'd be really good at it. Yeah. I would love to see that. Anyway, so she's seen Red Herd Scott. I'll binge watch that between Law and Order. Here's Scott. my, I'm going to go back to politics. Uh, reported in Politico this week, we talk a lot about the presidential campaign, not as much about the Senate races, uh, which, given the West Virginia retirement, we're at 50 50 f- functionally, and the Republicans need to get one of the seats that's up or win the vice presidency. A lot of pressure on Democrats, and the person bringing that pressure. Kentucky senior Senator Mitch McConnell, as reported by Politico, his two groups that are aligned with him are, quote, firing up their fundraising fitness heading into the general election. They'll be spending heavily to reclaim control of the chamber. So he controls the Senate Leadership Fund, the top super PAC, and also the public advocacy group One Nation. Last year, they raised a combined 
nearly $95 million, which is about four hundred grand more than they raised in 21. Uh, and it is a record, they say, for outside groups fundraising for an off-election year. So while everyone is focused on the White House, Team Mitch has its eye on the ball, which is get control of the U.S. Senate no matter what. McConnell always has his eye on the ball. Eye on the ball. I've... I don't know how the election is going to turn out, but I know if we control at least one chamber. We can yeah. <laughs> bad ideas can go somewhere to die. Yeah, which is vital. That's what I got. Usually, he looks at me when bad ideas go somewhere to die. But for Courtney and <laughs> no, Scott, they come here to yeah, the podcast to live. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, so next week I am taking back control well, of the board, so you I'm gentlemen cannot hit any more of those buttons. Have a good week. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.